This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its six-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, January 19th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's get into it. What have you been doing recently? Uh, well, you know, there's been a holiday hiatus for Saturday Night Live, which is one of my favorite shows. Uh, I keep up with it all the time. I write reviews on, on SNL that go up Sunday morning after the uh, a new episode comes around. And I have a podcast that I do with a couple friends of mine where we review and recap every new episode of SNL. We've been doing it for about uh, a year and a half now, or a, I guess now a season and a half. And we're in the middle of season 48, and the, the end of 2022 concluded with Cecily Strong leaving the cast, which was a bit of a bummer, and they went on holiday break. And so to fill the break uh, and kind of give us something to do until uh, SNL returns, which is happening this weekend with host Aubrey Plaza, we did an episode where me and my two co-hosts, uh, my friends Ben, not you, and uh, <laughs> Nate, we picked each picked our 10 uh Top 10 SNL cast members of all time. Uh, so this was a lot of fun. It was pretty difficult to narrow it down, uh, but we each had a, a pretty good list. There's definitely some crossover. Uh, you know, pe- people like uh, Will Ferrell uh, and Dana Carvey definitely make the list. Uh, a couple more recent cast members uh, also made it on there, but uh, we had a fun time doing this. We are huge, diehard uh, SNL nerds, so we just had a, a nice conversation digging into some of our favorite cast members. So I implore you to check it out. The podcast is called The 10 to 1 Podcast. 
uh, and it's available on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you put stuff in your ears. Man, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm very curious about what made your list, but I'll have to listen and find out just like everybody else. So uh, I will drop a a link to that uh, episode directly in the show notes for this episode that you're listening to right now. So check that out. Uh, What have you been reading recently, Brad? Uh, I dug into the art of Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, this is the kind of movie where I really like to dig in and see uh, how it was made, you know, because this is a movie that is made uh, almost entirely with visual effects and so much work went into it for over a decade. So I was fascinated to dig into just the process and the development and uh, all the things that they created that went into making in the movie. And it was a really cool uh, read digging into it. One of my favorite things was uh, obviously these kinds of books always have uh, tons of concept art. Uh, all the different uh, pieces that show the environments and the characters and the uh, creatures and everything that you see in the movie, you know, there's concept art for and beautiful concept art. Um, But one of the coolest things for this movie, because it's created entirely uh, digitally is that you might not expect there to be any actual tangible things to see other than like some set pieces that blend in with like big green screen sets and motion capture stuff. Uh, But the costume department actually created physical, tangible costumes that you see for all the characters on screen. And not just the humans, but the Na'vi as well. Uh, Both the Omatakaya and the the Metkayina clans, they had physical costumes made so that the animators and visual effects people could see how they sit on uh, on the actors, how they Mm -hmm. move through water, uh, that they had to uh, actually like figure out materials that would work best in certain environments uh, and really just had to hone in on making sure everything looked as realistic as possible, you know, because if you want to make something look believable and tangible on screen, you have to know how it moves in various environments and how it sits on people and how it moves when it's on on their body and actually know the texture of the things that went into making these costumes. So there's really cool photos of the actual props that they made sitting on uh, mannequins and and whatnot to give you an idea of uh, what it looked like for uh, and for the animators for for reference. So uh, that was one of the coolest things. And then there's like there's a couple things in there that we didn't see in the movie. There's like a uh, a Pandoran version of an otter that was supposed to have a scene in the movie, but it ended up getting cut. Uh, And you just really get to see a lot more detail stuff that you don't actually see uh, too much on the screen only for a brief amount of time. So uh, if you would like to avatar the way of water, it's a a cool read and it's very, uh, a lot of fun to dig into that. Excellent. Yeah. I think we've written up uh, a few stories on slash film about that. So um, if you just like do a Google search for slash film art of avatar, the way of water, you'll probably find those. Um, Let's get into what we've been watching. So Brad, you had a chance to check out uh, Matilda the musical. What did you think about that? Yeah, finally, you know, I've been meaning to, and just took me some time to get around to it. And uh, I felt like I wanted to see it before we, uh, we, um, finalized our list of uh, the coming up of the the top 50 movie moments of 2022. So I checked this out and uh, man, this was so good. I was so impressed by this because it is really is just a big, lively, incredible musical with like such intricate song and dance sequences. Uh, The performances are amazing. Tim Minchin, uh, this Australian comedian who wrote the songs, he is a brilliant songwriter. They are just sharp and funny and just really just fantastic songs. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, yeah, I absolutely love this movie and I liked uh, you know, how exaggerated like the the set design was like it felt like they brought a like an actual musical to life 
in in movie form rather than like doing an adaptation of it if that if that makes sense you know mm-hmm. like uh, it feels like the world of Roald Dahl was really brought to life I, I haven't really felt like they did this properly with a Roald Dahl book since the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory um this was this was just extremely well done and uh, man after seeing this uh, you know there's a lot of uh random buzz popping up for Andrew Riseborough in To Leslie, which she is fantastic in, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Uh, but seeing her in this role, like, I, I don't understand how people aren't offering her more comedies, because she's like, she's hilarious in this yeah. movie. And she's, and she's, it's unlike anything she's done before. It's, it's crazy. I had to pause the movie, Brad, and be like, holy shit, is that Andrea Riseborough? Like, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Really unrecognizable in this. Yeah, it's crazy. So she, she's fantastic. I feel like between this and to Leslie and like everything else we've seen her do, it feels like she can do anything. And part of me wonders if the reason that maybe she's not an actress who's like on the tip of everybody's tongue as far as like, you know, name some of the great actresses today is because she's such, such a chameleon that yeah. like you don't remember like that she's in movies. Like I actually forgot... Uh, she was in Death of Stalin until I saw it uh, playing on Pluto TV, Pluto TV recently. And I was like, oh, holy shit, she was in Death of Stalin. <laughs> and she's great in it, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I that, I wonder if she's just so good an actress that like people forget that she's even in these movies. Yeah, she's too good at her job. Yeah, exactly. Um, the moment that I really loved from this was the the convergence. Uh, oh, well, I loved a lot of moments in this movie. But the, the moment that I tried to argue for on our list that ended up not making it was the convergence of the story that Matilda has like that, that springs forth in her head and then Miss Honey's backstory and, and those two things sort of coming to, to a head. Uh, did that moment like get to you in the same way that it got to me or, or not really? I thought it was a, gr- a great moment. I don't think it hit me quite uh, emotionally the same way that, that how, cause it feels like it resonated with you pretty hard. Uh, but I did like how that all came together. Just like, you know, seeing Matilda realize the story she's been telling is actually Miss Honey's story. And, uh, the flashback coinciding, you know, with uh, with what was happening with with Matilda. Now it was it was. I mean, it's it's great writing. Yeah. Uh, for me, like uh, my my favorite part of the whole movie, um, and I guess maybe spoiler alert, this this might end up on the top fifty movie moments. Who knows? Um, but the the final sequence uh, of revolting children with everyone dancing through the school after like the big you know kind of confrontation with uh, Miss Trunchbull was mm-hmm. man, that was just awesome. A spe- yeah. spectacularly done musical sequence. Excellent. So yeah, Matilda the Musical is streaming on Netflix right now. Get on that. If you have not seen it yet, it's definitely, uh, I think Brad and I both agree, it's it's well worth your time. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that are worth your time, Brad, what do you think about the, the next movie on your list here? Yeah, I watched The Third Man, uh, which is a classic film noir, like uh, regarded as being one of the best films of all time, especially if you're from the UK. Uh, it was it was named like one uh, the greatest film of all time at, at one point. Uh, it's a 1949 film noir directed by Carol Reed, uh, written by uh, author Graham Greene, uh, and it's it's best known as being an Orson Welles movie. Uh, except Orson Welles doesn't show up in this movie for like the first 50 minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is uh, interesting. I, I kind of felt like I was having like a Silver Streak moment all the way, where I'm waiting for Richard Pryor to show up, and it's like where the fuck is he? <laughs> uh, but but uh, there's a reason people remember Orson Welles in this movie is. Because because with what little screen time he has, uh, his role in the movie is not only pivotal to, to the story, obviously, uh, but he just like steals every scene that he's in. Like he makes this character who's basically a pretty unethical villainous guy, but he makes him feel so charming and convincing to the point where you're almost like, you know what? Maybe he's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this, the, the one of the best things about this movie, and this is what has been praised for endlessly, uh, is the cinematography in this movie is incredible. Uh, just the way Carol Reed uses light and darkness and uh, shot on real locations in Vienna after world war ii and just seeing it you know torn up and rubble and everywhere mm-hmm. uh ju- just in- 
incredible shots. So the way he, he uses Dutch angles, and not even obviously all the time, just just subtly, uh, and he creates like just the just the slightest bit of like uh, un- uneasiness. The, the mm-hmm. way he sh- shoots everything is just uh, uh, incredible. I was I was mesmerized by how great the cinematography was because I I don't typically remember movies that came from the 40s being shot in this way there's definitely more of it when you venture into film noir and things like that but this this feels like it's on another level and i think that's exactly you know why it's been so revered all these years but uh yeah yeah, it is a yeah it's a a stellar movie i think it's a movie though that requires a little bit of homework because even as i was watching it and i was enjoying it i felt like there was something i was missing that i wasn't grasping as to like why it was so great and after reading some stuff from uh from roger ebert and some some other british uh critics i felt like i had a better grasp on it because there's a lot of stuff that like you don't really get if you're not familiar enough with european history especially after world war ii and i think that like to really understand like the vibe that they created and and why you know uh, it's so it's so revered like it, it really helps you dig into it more and, and appreciate it and i think it's just because so much time has passed that like it, it, it's kind of like the same thing where like in 50 years movies i think that like echo the sentiments of like what happened after 9 11 and things mm-hmm. like that that feeling of, of fear and uh you know overzealous patriotism like people aren't necessarily going to fully understand like how those movies resonated during that time because they didn't live through it and so i'm happy that i had like i'm able was able to do a little bit of homework and read about stuff so I can like, you know, appreciate it more. Yeah. I'm glad that you, you mentioned that. Cause I had the same experience after watching this. I, I really had that same thing where it felt like I was missing something. And this is a movie that like I relished doing the homework because the movie was so enjoyable. Like, even though I didn't fully grasp everything all the way through the, the first time, like I still loved the movie. And, and so I was like happy to, to go, you know, try to dive into rabbit holes and like fill in my gaps of knowledge. Whereas like a lot of movies sometimes, they'll leave me feeling cold and like the homework actually is work, you know, like, Oh God, do I really have to like go read about this? Because the, you know, I I would like hold it against the movie for not doing a good enough job of filling me in on its own. And this is the type of movie where like that information that you can glean from reading about it elsewhere kind of, um, I feel like it just sort of enhances the experience instead of like is a requirement to know if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, for sure. um, and yeah, the, yeah. the benefit of this one, too, is that it is a, a breezy uh, hour and a half viewing. So it's it's not a, a longer movie where you can kind of feel the, the runtime. Yeah. And the God, the, yeah, you're right. The cinematography in this is so good. Like just I haven't seen this movie in probably six or seven years or something. But like in my mind right now, I can I can see uh, Joseph Cotton's character like running down through the sewers and just the way that the, the light is used down there. It's just, oh, man, incredible stuff. So if you've not seen the third man, this is yeah, truly like. I don't know if it's like one of my favorite movies. I, I would have to watch it a few more times for it to make its way up there, but it's it's really like an incredible experience. So um, 100% worth checking out. Uh, I guess before we continue, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. All right, Brad, what else have you been watching recently? I watched Twins. Okay, I've never seen <laughs> Twins. What did you I, think about it? I hadn't either, and that's that's exactly why I watched it. Um, it's directed by Ivan Reitman. Uh, in, in case you don't know somehow, uh, it is a, a comedy that follows Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito as twin brothers. Not identical, in case you were wondering. Um, <laughs> but basically, like the, the setup is, uh, and it kind of has a... Uh, almost like a multiplicity vibe to it is um, there's this experiment where they decided to try and create like what you would imagine to be like the, the perfect human. They, they use um, the, uh, the, the sperm of six different men uh, and they combine it with all, with all these like valuable traits and, you know, intelligence and, and physical prowess and all that stuff. Um, and they uh, basically you know, um, impregnate a woman and then have, have this baby. Uh, but then apparently there was a, uh, enough, you know, happened, uh, you know, within the body to create two babies. Uh, and the other one is, uh, the perfect one, as you can imagine, probably is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and the other one is Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, uh, but they are estranged. Like they didn't grow up together. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character grew up on this island uh, with like this, this scientist who was like monitoring him and like uh, provided him with everything that, you know, he could like, he's, he's very intelligent and he knows poetry and stuff like that, but he's also kind of naive. He doesn't really fully understand how, uh, the real world works. And when he finally learns from this person who has basically acted as his father, uh, that he has a brother, he decides to leave, leave the Island and go into the, uh, the, the world to meet his brother. And, uh, it happens in Los Angeles and like the two couldn't be more different. Danny DeVito's this kind of like con man and they get caught up in, in some trouble. And, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. It's, um, you know, it, it feels like the kind of 1980s comedy that they don't really make anymore. It's uh, it is not a huge high concept. It has like, you know, a little bit of, uh, action and, and intrigue, I guess you could say, but it's mostly focused just on the dynamic between Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, and Danny DeVito, which is very funny to see them together. And Schwarzenegger is really funny in this movie too. The way he plays, uh, his, his character, he's just very much, uh, uh, boyish and like not na- naive and just very enthusiastic about everything. Uh, and just, just kind of walking around smiling. He's just, he's just happy to be here. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. And also a, a random thing that I was surprised to see is a, a, a very bit part by a young Heather Graham as the, the young girl, uh, who has uh, the babies early in the movie and she, oh, wow. she doesn't even have a, a speaking part. So that was, that was fun. Huh. But yeah, twin twins is pretty good and it's on Netflix right now. Okay, what else have you been checking out? I uh, have also been watching some Sundance stuff, uh, and I can't talk about it yet. And this is just my way of teasing our Sundance coverage that's coming, uh, because we're going to have a pretty good amount of it. I know you and Chris are going to be on the ground uh, at Sundance starting uh, in the next day, right? 
Yes, yeah. As as people are listening to this episode, uh, Chris and I are going to be in, in Park City, Utah. Yes. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be doing some stuff virtually, uh, and we have some other people covering virtually as well. And then I'm gonna hop over to Salt Lake City for the last weekend of the festival to see some things in person. But there's uh, it sounds like and there's gonna be a lot of good stuff this year. So I'm excited to uh, to talk about that soon enough. Yes, definitely. All right. So uh, I guess I'll just I, I wanted to mention three things that I've been watching recently. I caught up with Missing. Have you seen this yet, Brad? No, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. So Missing is the follow-up to Searching, which is uh, the Screen Life movie that came out in 2018. I really loved Searching. And Missing is like almost as good, but not quite as good. And I think it's just because the um, the sort of electricity that I got while watching Searching was because I was seeing something that was so innovative and so new. And Missing basically just like uses that same um, sort of like... Uh, template I got like visual template that they actually do a couple things to um, distinguish it from searching they they uh, play a few little tricks that I'll, I'll keep secret um, that I thought were like interesting touches and ways to like expand the world in in fascinating ways but um yeah it's just because you kind of having seen searching know a little bit to expect with this but I still think the storytelling is really good there's some really cool like uh, twisty stuff that I thought I knew where this movie was going and it, it really surprised me. Um, so I always appreciate that in, in a, a mystery like this. But um, instead of like John Cho searching for his character's daughter, like what happened in Searching, this time Storm Reed plays a teenage girl whose mother goes missing and she is on the hunt for uh, her, her mom and trying to figure out what happened to her. So um, yeah, it's sort of a reversal of the concept, but kind of the same type of thing. Um, yeah, same kind of twisty emotional storytelling that's uh, really solid. I, I really like these movies and sort of what they do. So um, I have an interview with the the filmmakers behind Missing, which um, are actually the same core five people who made Searching, but in different roles this time. Um, Nick uh, Johnson and Will Merrick, who edited the first film, are actually directing this time. Um, so that... Uh, interview is like super spoiler heavy. So that'll go up on Slash Home on Monday if you want to check that out. But um, also, uh, if, you, if you've been following Slash Home for a long time, if you paid attention to the, the press around searching uh, when that movie came out, you may remember that there's this alien invasion subplot that takes place in the background. Like it, it's not anything that the major characters in that film engage with. But if you like look in, you know, other tabs that characters are, are have open on their computer screens or like uh, Facebook trending topics when characters are on Facebook in that film. There's all these little um, hints and clues about this whole alien invasion subplot that's playing out in the background. Um, I just wrote uh, a story on Slash Film that, that is published right now, you can read, that is that talks about how that subplot gets uh, progressed in Missing because it, it definitely picks up where that left off in a really interesting way. So Check that out if you're interested. And uh, yeah, if you go see Missing when it comes out uh, in theaters tomorrow or maybe tonight by the time you're listening to this, um, keep your eyes peeled on the on the uh, edges of the frame because there's some interesting stuff there. I wish that they could figure out a way to maybe turn that into a screen life movie, like follow like a group of people who are like UFO hunters who, you know, are communicating through phone, FaceTime yeah. and all that stuff. And like, uh, you know, uh, half found footage, half screen life kind of thing. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, you know, I, I asked the the filmmakers, and this is a small spoiler for the interview itself, not a spoiler for any sort of like content or anything, but um, I asked them if they had been approached by Sony to, to make a third movie, and they said that they had, and they had an idea for it, um, but they're not sure whether it's going to happen yet. So I wonder if, because they're so invested in this sort of uh, the fun of these subplots, if part of their idea might be 
exactly what you said, like bring that more to the forefront. That'd be really interesting to see. So um, yeah, go check out Missing in theaters. Uh, I think, yeah, today, tomorrow, basically officially comes out on January 20th. Um, I also watched Fleischman is in Trouble, uh, the Hulu series based on the book of the same name. Uh, Brad, have you seen this show? I haven't, but I've heard some people say that it's very good. It is very good. Yeah, I, I heard similar things and wanted to sort of jump on the bandwagon relatively early. It came out a little while ago, I think like uh, late November, and it ended it wrapped up at the end of December. Um, but uh, man, yeah, the show is really good. Ostensibly, it is about Jesse Eisenberg, who plays a, a doctor um, whose wife goes missing. And he basically is like, a, a recently divorced guy who now has two kids and his wife is gone or his ex-wife, I guess is gone. And he's like trying to figure out what to do with his life. That's sort of like the, the very basic pitch, but it actually becomes about much more than that. And it's more um, kind of about like, um, like the, the sort of existential malaise that you can get when you're in your thirties and like trying to figure out what to do with your, uh, with your life and losing your sense of self and like marriage and relationships and like all these super big ideas. And to me, it kind of feels like this generation's version of something like, um, like the big chill or like one of those sort of iconic eighties movies that really, uh, tapped into that, that idea in a big way. Um, this, because you know, it, it's a, it's a mini series. There's like, I think eight episodes. Um, it just feels like that type of thing for this generation in a, in a really interesting way. And, um, I just want to give a quick shout out to Lizzie Kaplan who plays one of uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character's best friends. And Lizzie Kaplan has been great for a long time. I mean, she was in Cloverfield, she's in Masters of Sex and uh, Party Down. I mean, she's she's a, certainly a recognizable person. But I feel like after watching her in the show, I think she's the best character by far. And she just should be in more things. That That's my that's my advice to Hollywood. <laughs> Hire Lizzie Kaplan in, in more, you know, put her in more stuff because she's really, really great. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Brad, if you get a chance to check this out, what you'll think about it. But, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole show is up on Hulu right now and it's called Fleischman is in trouble. And then the last thing I watched is a movie from 1972 called what's up doc. Brad, have you ever seen this one? I haven't. Okay. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich directed this. He directed, uh, the last picture show. I think that was his first film or certainly early on in his run. And then like a year or two later, he made What's Up Doc. And this is the kind of um, jump that in my mind is equivalent to, you know, somebody like John Watts making Cop Car and then jumping into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like that level of, uh, of evolutionary leap as a filmmaker from one type of, you know, small scale indie thing into a big studio movie. Um, not to say that What's Up Doc is whatever, Spider-Man Homecoming, but it, it kind of is in that comparison. Uh, this is a movie that stars Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, and it uh, introduced Madeline Kahn. Evidently, this was her first movie, which I was very surprised to see, and she kills it in this movie. She's so funny. Um, but Barbara Streisand is just like effervescent in this movie. I, I am not super familiar with her work uh, as an actress. Like, obviously, she's a sort of a music legend and, and a, you know, pop cultural icon and all of that. But I, I couldn't tell you any other Barbara Streisand movies that I've seen. I've just sort of like missed out on a lot of her filmography. And uh, I'd recorded this off of, um, it played on TCM last year and I had just had it on my DVR. I was like, yeah, hey, let's check this out. And I watched it with my wife and we both love this movie. It, it's very, like her character is just this, um, this sort of like oblivious character who like wanders through life doing kind of whatever she wants, but she also is like a master of all domains. She, her character has gone to has, has flunked out of a bunch of different colleges and learned just enough about a bunch of different subjects to be like, 
this sort of, um, I don't know, it, it really feels like the, the title of the movie is What's Up Doc? And it really feels like a live action Looney Tunes episode, which is kind of unsettling to see for a movie that came out in the 70s because it's just so strange tonally, but it's really entertaining to watch. And her character is just the Bugs Bunny of this, this universe, just sort of wandering through and like nothing bad ever really happens to her. And she just kind of gets whatever she wants and like does it in this really... Um, amusing funny way and it, it just it's so rare to see female characters have that kind of uh energy and this movie is supposed to be an homage to something like bringing up baby and those like screwball comedies of the the 30s and you can definitely sense that energy in it um and ryan o'neill is a really really good straight man in this in this scenario that they were saying on tcm that um peter bogdanovich was good friends with Cary grant and he called up Cary grant who starred in bringing up baby and and uh like asked Cary Grant to give Ryan O'Neill some advice on playing this type of role, the sort of like uh, relatively square, like straight man uh, in this um, screwball comedy where the, the female presence is like this uh, whirlwind character. And so I thought that was kind of cool, just like having that little um, passing of the baton almost in, in Hollywood history there. Uh, but yeah, What's Up Doc is like really, really great. I was talking about uh, Freebie and the Bean recently, and that was a, a movie where they did a bunch of stunts it, like really practically and you can tell that everything felt really dangerous and it's not the the sort of quote-unquote safe um filmmaking that that people maybe um drag hollywood movies over the coals a little bit for today where everything kind of feels like um sanitized and like all the edges have been sanded off this movie also has a lot of like big you know bombastic chase sequences where everything feels like dangerous in a similar way. So it's it's really, really entertaining to watch. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere, but it's called What's Up, Doc? And uh, I, I, yeah, I, I really love this movie. I wasn't expecting much from it. So definitely worth checking out if you get a chance. Um, all right, let's get into what you've been eating, Brad. What have you been checking out? All right, there's a new Doritos flavor on the scene, folks. Uh, tangy and sweet barbecue Doritos. Um, they're pretty good. They're not great. Uh, they're not my my favorite barbecue chip. Uh, for those, I would say they're probably Jay's barbecue chips. Um, but they, uh, I think for me, what's what makes them maybe not as great is I, I don't expect my barbecue chip to be a tortilla chip, which is, you know, foundationally what Doritos are. So having a tangy, sweet barbecue chip that is a tortilla chip, I think is what makes it a little bit odd. Uh, but the flavor is, isn't bad. I think for me, I prefer... A little less sweet barbecue, but also a not too spicy barbecue. Just somewhere, somewhere in the middle. You know, your middle of the road barbecue that has just a little bit of a kick to it and isn't too sweet. And these are a little too sweet, I think, for my tastes. Um, gotcha. But they're but they're okay. Uh, and you should be able to find them at you know whatever grocery stores you you find your chips at. Um, there's also a a new soda on the scene, Starry Lemon Lime Soda. I uh, saw this in my grocery aisle, and I was like, I bet Brad's going to talk about this. <laughs> yep, you know it. Uh, so if you were a Sierra Mist fan, you're out of luck because it is gone. Pepsi has gotten rid of Sierra Mist, and this is their replacement. It's Starry Lemon Lime Soda. Uh, I think it's better than Sierra Mist. Uh, the flavor lands somewhere in between Sprite and 7-Up. Uh, it's definitely more crisp than Sierra Mist. Not quite as sweet, uh, but it still tastes very good. And actually, the zero-sugar version uh, especially is quite good, uh, which is impressive because I'm usually it usually takes a lot for me to enjoy a, a zero-sugar soda. But I, I tried both the regular and the zero-sugar, and I was not – uh, less impressed with the zero sugar version. I was very pleased with both. So uh, this is literally all over the place too. Like you can't miss it. Pepsi did like a huge rollout for this. So you should probably be able to find it at any grocery store, any convenience store, gas station, what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, give it a shot. It's, it's pretty good. 
Cool. Uh, I also found uh, Reese's Dipped Animal Crackers. I, I was on the hunt for these for a little while. They kept popping up on my uh, Instagram feed of some of the other food and snack people that I follow. Uh, it took me forever to find them, and I finally found them at 7-Eleven. And so these are uh, animal crackers. Um, I thought it was just an animal cracker that had a chocolate peanut butter dip on the back of it based on what it looks like on the bag. But it is an animal cracker that is dipped entirely in peanut butter and then has the back uh, dipped in chocolate. Uh, and they are delicious. If you like Reese's peanut butter cups and you like animal crackers, this is a great mix of the two flavors. Uh, and I, I love them. So definitely seek them out. I feel like I talked to you, I may have spoken with you about this before, but I think the animal crackers changed their recipe in the past few years. And it's not quite as, uh, as sweet as it used to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or am I just insane? I, I mean, for me, animal crackers were never super sweet. So maybe you are just insane. Hmm. <laughs> it's very it's very much a possibility. All right. <laughs> what else do you need? Uh, the last thing I, I tried um, is Krispy Kreme's new line of Biscoff donuts. Uh, Biscoff being the, the Speculoos cookie uh, that kind of made waves in the UK and made it over way to the United States. And like you see it offered on airplanes pretty consistently. They have like their own cookie butter and stuff. Uh, I love Biscoff cookies. I love the, the cookie butter that comes from them. So I had to try these donuts. Uh, Krispy Kreme has three donuts with Biscoff uh, flavors on them and they are all spectacular. Um, they use the, the Biscoff cookie uh, in a variety of ways. One has the uh, it's just a regular Krispy Kreme glazed donut, but it has the uh, frosting made from cookie butter on top of the donut. Uh, there's another one that is filled uh, with a, a Biscoff uh, flavored cream inside of it. And, and then there's another one that is a, a cookie butter cheesecake donut, uh, which it has like a, a cheesecake icing on top of it along with the cookie butter uh, as well. And they're all outstanding um you can get them now until january 29th is when they're done if you don't have a crispy cream that's like super close by i recommend checking your local grocery stores because uh the closest crispy cream to me is like 45 minutes away uh but they have um like a lot of stores sell crispy cream donuts in like half dozen boxes mm. look look in the section where they have those crispy cream donuts at like walmart or you know a grocery store something like that and they have them there because i have seen them in my stores that aren't anywhere near a crispy cream and they have uh, a box that has two of each of the the biscoff crispy cream donuts so if you can't make it to a crispy cream just check your grocery uh store where they usually have the crispy cream donuts and you should be able to find them Gotcha. Excellent. All right, cool. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Um, Peter is traveling, so I'm not sure if we're going to have an episode tomorrow. Um, I think I come back from Sundance like very late Wednesday night, so I don't know about next Tuesday. Anyway, our schedule is going to be a little little shoddy over the next few days. Please bear with us. Uh, but you can find more about all the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.